Casey Must. I am the owner and founder of Citizen Yoga in Detroit and Cleveland, and you are listening to After Class. After Class is our podcast where we get to extend our mission, which is to improve mental health and prevent suicide through personal growth and transformation across multiple communities. Citizen Yoga is a community of practitioners who are committed to doing inner work, claiming ownership, discovering personal value, and supporting each other on our individual journeys. Uh, I'm super excited to have Carrie Trahan with me today. So welcome. Thank you for having me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We have so much to talk about. So much. Uh, We've already (laughs) done like downloads way before this, but uh, I think that one really helpful thing to start with is sort of what is our intention What's your intention in talking on the podcast today? I'll share my intention um, talking on the podcast. I haven't really done that before, but it feels right today. My intention is to connect, share, be heard. I think because I was invited and I think we have important conversations that should be shared with our students. Yeah, Yeah, my intention today is, I think, to free my voice again, which is sort of funny because I talk a lot, (laughs) as everybody knows. Um, But I felt like through quarantine, I really lost, have lost parts of my voice and like parts of my vision. And that was, that's been a really hard experience for me. And so my intention today is to continue on this journey of reclaiming my voice again and like living and embodying the mission of citizen again, even more and in a different way. Wow. You know what? I had the polar opposite experience. I feel like quarantine made me find my voice. So like just being asked all these questions, people reaching out you know, how can I support, um, not just in terms of the pandemic, but uh, the racial uprisings. And I haven't really spoken about race or racism, uh, especially in terms of yoga in years, Hmm. uh, just for fear of looking like this difficult yoga teacher or this or that. So, um, or just being in those spaces where it wasn't understood or acknowledged. So um, quarantine has really uh, been a catalyst for me speaking on things that really have have been impacting my heart space for basically my entire life as a black woman. So this is uh, interesting, and I'm glad that it uh, brought us together. You know, bringing out a voice. I feel like we're like yin and yang it, yes, right now. Yes, <laughs> but I think that that's like. I mean, I we want. I want to hear more about that specific part of how you hid your voice. Um, cause I have hidden my voice in the past. So this was like not a new experience for me. It was actually like sort of an old experience of a smaller version of myself and going into that dark space and then coming out of it again. Like, I think that we all do that. We sort of oscillate between the ebbs and flows, right? The ebbs and flows of like, I feel big and strong and confident. Now I feel insecure and unsure and I can't see what's ahead of me. Mm-hmm. And I think that we go through those periods and when you are in this like beautiful growth period it's like you get to capture a new part of your essence totally feels that way uh it has been hard yeah but also uh such a good thing coming at 
well, we don't know if this is the end of COVID, but, (laughs) you know, just getting to, I don't know, how many months are we into this? Six, seven months? Yeah. I think it's like five and a half. Wow. Yeah. So we're getting there. So maybe um, just tell us about your organization. Let's just sort of like lay the land and I'm going to come back to that piece of hiding. Um, But tell us about Yoganic Flow. Sounds good. Uh, So Yoganic Flow is a community-based yoga organization in Detroit. And our mission is to make yoga accessible in the urban community, meaning um, in parts of Detroit where there are no yoga studios, meaning in the inner city, uh, making it available to people who might find your typical yoga class out of reach, whether it be financially or actually being able to get there or um, just having barriers to getting to your typical yoga studio. So our goal was to uh, bring yoga to the people, take it to the parks, take it to the recreation centers, take it to the schools, take it to places where um, yogis aren't necessarily coming, but just regular people in Detroit uh, that could really benefit from this practice uh, could have access. Mm -hmm. And our vision is... Uh, inner city peace through inner peace. So Mm. uh, with this idea of more people uh, feel peaceful within, well, obviously, uh, or maybe it's not so obvious to everyone, but I really believe we'll have more peace within the inner city. Mm. So what are some of the challenges that you feel you're confronted with in bringing yoga to that specific population? <laughs> Great question. Is that really hard? I feel oh, like I just like, unpacked a really tough question for you. You know, it's uh, it's it's been interesting. We started in 2012 when there might have been only one or two yoga studios in Detroit, and uh, people really didn't have an idea what it was then. You know, now it's grown so much, but back then, I would hear lots of things. You know, we'd be in a park with. <laughs> people doing all sorts of things and we would be having a yoga class there and they're like look at you guys acting white or yogas for white girls or um (laughs) we were at palmer park one day and uh asked folks uh, some ladies to come and join us we're like yoga's free you can go whatever this lady was like i'm a born-again christian Mm -hmm. i'm okay you know Mm -hmm. so a lot of people think that um it's not for them or they also might think um, because they're in a larger body, it's not for them because most of the images they see of yoga practitioners are um, thin, non-black non, uh, people. Also, um, that religious barrier, lots of folks yeah. think that it's um, non or anti-Christian or whatever, um, but we get that a lot. Like, I'm not praying to Buddha or... You know, well, used to. I think now that it's become more mainstream and it's like on the housewife shows and everywhere we look, right. more people are receptive to yoga. But um, those were the main ones. Or it's too expensive. Yeah. We heard that a ton. And, you know, our goal was to reduce some of these barriers like, hey, here's a teacher, um, your size, your color. You don't need money to come. You don't even need a mat. We have mats. So, we just tried to remove every single barrier and really explain more about what the practice um, could really be and how it could benefit them physically and mentally. Mm-hmm. So what's yoga? What's the difference between Yoganic Flow and Yoga House? Yoganic Flow is our business. We started it just 
kind of grassroots and organizations, uh, nonprofits, small businesses actually hire us mm-hmm. um, and make these free community classes happen. Whereas Yoga House Detroit is something that all of our teachers uh, thought about and we were like, we need a space. But a lot of us were not, including myself, weren't really interested in like a traditional studio where asana or hatha yoga is the only type of yoga practice Mm -hmm. we wanted to have a space that just felt like home for folks right like you just feel comfortable coming in and you can explore all the types of yoga so you can study yoga by practicing jhana yoga you can Mm -hmm. um study uh raja yoga meditating you can do different types of yoga and it not just be asana based so those people in our community who aren't able-bodied um or they may have had a surgery like myself, uh, can still get the benefits from yoga and not just hot yoga. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's Yoga House. Also, um, you know, our team really believes that it's a lifestyle. You can practice physical asana all day and be so far from spiritual liberation or even anything, right? And, and yeah. just be not a yogi at all. Yeah. And um, we believe it's a whole lifestyle, including... Um, what we eat, you know, the energy we put in our body through food and how that makes us feel physically and mentally. So one component of Yoga House is around organic gardening. So we'll have programming for people in the community and also for children in the summer so they can learn how to grow food. And even I really think that the food is a piece of sustaining a good practice you know we're filling our bodies with with junk but then we're getting on the mat like that's just not healthy well there's um like you know that there's the three temperaments that they talk about a lot like you have your tamas rajas and sattva yes and there are foods that it's not like they just promote it's like something's more conducive or less conducive like trying not to think of food as good or bad because everything is in moderation but there is sort of this idea that certain foods bring about a certain texture i like to think of it as texture instead of vibration like some of your thoughts Mm -hmm. have a texture some are really heavy like depressive thoughts uh chaotic thoughts uh sort of ignorant thoughts are heavier you know they stick to you like oh this is domestic yeah (laughs) exactly and then like your rajas is like caffeine and salt and like rushing and desirous Mm -hmm. and frustrated and then your sattva is like bitter it's like clarity so it's interesting that you say that because there is so much more of a correlation but i think that there has been an overemphasis in some ways in the west on food not that that's what you're saying but like a less of an emphasis on your values right and so i guess you and i've talked so i think we met i feel like my conscious memory of you is at yoga at the zoo that was where I think I first met you. You were in like the front row. I think it was the first time I taught it, maybe. Yes. And like you were doing Urdva. Like I just like remember you really specifically, which is funny. I think there you were with Aaron. Of I think you there. were there with Aaron. Were yes, you? And Aaron I, and Anita. Yeah, um, I have like a very specific memory of meeting you. Um, and then I feel like we've like gone in and out. But something that's interesting is we've both been practicing for a very long period of time. And you and I talk, you just said, like, you know, people can be doing yoga and not living yoga. Yes. And, like, what what does that mean to you? Like, what does that look like? How is that sort of, yeah, what does that look like to you? 
sattvic eating, sattvic thoughts, like mm-hmm. just trying as much as possible. Like you said, I, it, I, don't, I don't agree with necessarily categorizing food as bad or good because right. I did eat some pizza last night. It was so good. <laughs> so good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, um, I think eating mostly like uh, things that keep you light and, yeah. and uh, trying to cultivate those thoughts but um that that keep you light but again I think it's a whole lifestyle that even allows for that to happen right so we hope to encourage that and offer workshops for that at yoga house because I think maintaining that lifestyle is really tough yeah and we really need a support system Mm -hmm. to be uh reminded you know when you start feeling low you act as such you know you might indulge in all the comfort foods that ruin your microbiome or you know and make you feel uh even worse so i think it's really good to uh be in a kula as you guys call it a a yoga Mm -hmm. family a community and we definitely want to make sure we offer that at yoga house Mm -hmm. so what does it mean to you to be a yogi in the modern times if you were gonna say like this is what it would really look like. Oh, good. Okay, yeah, that that was the question, right? Um, what does it look like for me to be a yogi? Um, honestly, values, you know, like I think that's something you and I talked about was like there's a disconnect there is that exists in the yoga industry quite a bit, where you know we. I want to use the word fiend, sort of. Uh, you you teach something that sounds nice but you live something that looks different right bring just practicing what you preach you know yeah. walking it like you talk it uh for me i've been trying to do that ever since i started teaching yoga mm. um practicing even practicing i just felt compelled to try to um use some of the text as a guide for living you know mm. i think that we're not perfect by far yeah. <laughs> you know um i get it you know, we're, I'm not going to be like, um, I don't know, Arjuna or anybody in any of the yoga texts, but right. I do think um, being a yogi now, here and now, we can just do our best, you know, to try to um, honor ourselves, respect and listen to others. I think it's just very simple. Yeah, right? but like, it's not. It, it, right? Clearly like, it's I not. I just feel like, <laughs> I mean, I, I at times feel like the yoga industry is at times the most lost in the teaching is in it's really difficult to when you speak it all day long to really uh uncover whether or not you're living it it becomes really unclear at some point and so i think that that's you know we we started yoga in a very different space like flowing Love music, and we're definitely going to talk about music and yoga today for Looking sure. But forward to that. <laughs> but I think that there is that piece of like how you know you manage people, and it's it's challenging to everybody has like their growth path. How do we get our community to come together? Because there is a division in the yoga industry. It's for very sure. clear to me. I mean, I grew up in it. Um, it still exists. I'm watching it all the time. Like, there is a division. And so how do we mend that division? I think that's a great question, um, which is one of the reasons I really appreciate your 6 a.m. philosophy class. <laughs> <laughs> because I think people need to be looking at the philosophy uh, behind yoga, yeah. whether it be... Um, 
comedic yoga philosophy, which we'll talk about, or uh, Indian uh, yoga philosophy. But I want to share with you something that I jotted down earlier from Light on Yoga. Do do you all use that in your training? Uh Awesome. Yeah. So page 46, it says, the path of yoga is like the sharp edge of a razor, Mm. narrow and difficult to tread, and there are few Mm. who find it because it's so hard. Yeah. I think that's why so many people aren't really living yoga because it's not all love and light, right? You know, you have to really um, dig deep and look at yourself. And I think looking at these texts help us do that. Yeah. But if we're not being honest with ourselves or we don't love ourselves, we can't be honest about the world around us or loving Mm -hmm. to the world around us. Mm -hmm. So I think a, a way to bring it bring us together is really get people together mm-hmm. like continue to um i guess encourage and teach people to yoke their own mind and body mm-hmm. make that own union with themselves with themselves so they can make that union with other people truly you know but i think a lot of people aren't really yoking they aren't really um cultivating that union through only asana mm-hmm. So people got to yoke themselves first before we start to really come mm-hmm. together, I think. Mm-hmm. There's like a, I think that there's this push and pull, you know, yoga business is really funny to me. Um, I think a lot about that and like yoga fame particularly is it's that razor's edge, right? Like yes. you, you start the path and you are seeking to be successful in the yoga industry and it's very confusing how do you mend your business values with your yogic values? And I think that that's one of the things that I re- I try. I mean, I know that you get, like, it's like you get pulled. Yes. You know, all, all different people challenge you, you know, and you show up as a different version of yourself when you're interacting with different people. And so, like, how strong, it's like the keel and the, the ship, the thing that, like, holds you steady you know, the depth to which you've dug your well to that depth, like you can hold yourself steady. And, you know, I think that that's what I mean. Like when I was saying to you, like I sort of lost my voice was like, oh, I, I had never prepared for a pandemic. Like I, I wasn't prepared. I was prepared for a lot of other things, but I didn't know to prepare for this. And so, you know, it was sort of like this tsunami wave over my mind of, oh my God, who am I in a different version of citizen yoga? Mm-hmm. And that was a that was a scary reality to start to look at for me. And so when you were saying like, you know, there are places where you were hiding, I think there was pieces of the pandemic. And I do think that I'm, I've come into a different space, but of like, who am I here? And now I don't know who I am. So now I should hide a little bit and now I'm scared. And so when you were talking about like, oh, I found my voice through this, I think I found a different voice, but... I would say months into it, though, you know, like at first, you know how you're like the oscillating, right? Like at the beginning, I felt the same. Like, who am I? What do we even Mm. do now with schools and community centers closing? That's where our classes were. Right. So if all income is cut off and teachers are out here not teaching, what do we even do? What do I even do now? How do I eat? Literally. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that was... um, really hard. I would say the first couple of weeks of the pandemic, mm-hmm. I didn't function. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't teach. I didn't do anything because I didn't want to, um, 
And I think a lot of yoga teachers have to do this now because yoga is for money, right? So it's like their job. And they'll show up to do the job whether they're feeling good or not. Um, But for me, I just can't do that because I'm not just there to uh, shout out asanas. Not to say most yoga teachers are, but um, I just couldn't fake the funk, you know, I was, so I just didn't, but, um, what helped so much was just our community continuously reaching out. Like Mm -hmm. I need a meditation. I need to do yoga. I'm stressed. So them asking me and reaching out empowered me and kind of showed me what my role was in the community. Mm -hmm. It got me out of bed and made me get to my mat and try to bolster my strength so I could show up for them. So thank you, everyone. Yeah, I, I hear you on that one for sure. When you were talking earlier about hiding, can you, like, you were saying, like, in the past, like, you found your voice. And I think it was probably good. Like, I finally had to stop talking for a second <laughs> during the uprising of Black Lives Matter, which is... Uh, good thing you know a really powerful thing a very humbling experience um but you had mentioned before this had happened like how you had hid in the past and why you had hid and I one thing that stood out was like not wanting to be the teacher that's I don't remember your exact words in the beginning but like complaining or making a problem that like nobody else would stand up for you with Mm -hmm. and I like really could resonate with what you were saying in that moment wow it happened um I really got quiet around uh 2016 17 I worked at a yoga organization and when they sent me to a um a program to learn about trauma-informed yoga that program was great and they gave us lots of resources Um, One was a a book about the history of Jim Crow or the new Jim Crow. And when I came back to the office to share that, it was like, what? You know, it just was not received very well. And I felt like it was frustrating, but I felt like in their eyes, I was a troublemaker now or problematic. And um, even the person that I worked under there made some comments about slavery like well Africans enslaved themselves and it's just like what what <laughs> are you kidding me right now it was different types of slavery but I mean that goes back to our conversation about the lack of education in general in America like yeah. people just don't know enough about each other right or even their own history right or role in another group's disenfranchisement so I, the things that I was met with there um was it was really hard and it was my job again these yoga jobs and this in capitalism is tough so I had to kind of like just be quiet I couldn't really fight it I mean I could have but I would have been without a job and I had a leased car at the time I had a leased apartment I didn't own things so it was like if I say these things or go against it publicly or whatever how do I live so I just kind of didn't say anything and you know, having my own small yoga organization at the time, it was like, I can't eat off of that. So what do I do? And then going, I worked at a gym as a yoga teacher and that was fine. Um, but we weren't like really connected to the people that ran the gym. So I didn't, it, it never came up, but, um, I did always feel at that time, like, what am I going to do yogically? Like, how do I even move on? They are connected with everyone 
if I start something here, will they tell them that I'm difficult? Or sometimes when you bring up race, racial issues, people might say like, this is reverse racism. I've been accused of that when lifting an uncomfortable situation um, where I felt like it was racial bias. Uh, so it's, it, it was hard for those years. And ultimately, I did get laid off from that place. And um, I really do believe that a piece of that was uh, because of some of the things that I said and that I lifted, especially in terms of it being culturally relevant. And it scared the heck out of me. Like, you know, what do you do when you um, are an under-resourced person just trying to do some free yoga classes and you're going, and I don't even want to say going up against, but angering someone that is a connected, I, I won't go that far, but I'll just say it was a very hard time. And I felt like now I'm not going to be able to get other jobs in yoga. Where am I going to work? But it took up until recently for me to realize mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know, like who cares if no one ever hires me? I am tired of this. And if people are going to be asking me about how I really feel, I'm going to be really honest despite the repercussions. And to my surprise, um, it's been received. But at that time, I felt like a lot of people in the NFL when Kaepernick was kneeling, people felt like, well, I can't say anything or I'm not doing that like because I'll get fired. I'll get reprimanded. And I think a lot of people of color just, you know, we have to just um, brush things off or set it aside because we don't want to lose our jobs. We have families. We have financial commitments. We have things to take care of. And I know a lot of people would be like, I'm speaking up anyway. You know, I would say something, but... I mean, more power to them. I I think that's great. And I wish I could have felt as empowered at that time. But um, it really took a long time. And the Organic Flow family and all the questions that people have asked me as of late for me to feel um, unafraid to an extent to just speak freely about like yoga and race. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I in last year, um, my good friend Professor Rebecca McKenney mm-hmm. had me do the race and yoga article um, in that academic journal. But even then, I was like, "Oh boy, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I do not know what I'm going to get from this from yogis because a lot of yogis think like we're all one. It's not like that in this industry. It's not, you know, it's all good. You're <laughs> there's no diversity, and it's like, wait, that's not how I felt when I walked in." What do you mean? You know, so it's been um, and then also I felt not afraid, but just I, I feel I felt like I would be frustrated even more to speak about things because around the time that uh, the Mike Brown murder happened, uh, a yoga friend and I had like a, a sit in at Heart Plaza, like just a moment of meditation, a moment of silence for him. And it was as if even then I think people um, viewed us and said things like it's not even that serious what did he do and how how did he cause this to happen didn't he steal something and it's like does that mean he should be killed so having to have those contentious conversations um, was just too much for me it was just like I can't keep doing this I don't want to explain why um, killing someone is wrong Mm -hmm. you know even if say he did do it right Mm -hmm. say any of these all of these people were guilty 
does the judge say that they're innocent or not? Or does the cop? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think it's all just been so um, frustrating for me and hurtful that I was just feeling all those emotions plus fear that I really couldn't. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm thankful for the folks that kind of pushed me to uh, speak on the, on these matters. Another one is my friend at I Rise Yoga. So mm-hmm. if you guys are listening, go check mm-hmm. her out if you want some education on this matter because I think she describes um, all of what I feel so in such a concise and eloquent way with facts. Mm-hmm. So then what do you feel... It sounds like, and you can, it sounds like the people around you. So it's interesting how like the yoga community can isolate you and the yoga community can lift you. Yes. And it's so strange how we live in such a, like, I feel that way for sure. In a different realm, of course, I don't mean it in terms of race. (laughs) I mean it, I'm like the skinny white girl that everybody talks about and I totally understand, but I, 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 have so much compassion because it is a strange world to live in of like a world of one love yet so much competition a world of we're all one but so much division and the paradoxes that exist that are so confusing confusing. and and how i mean you and i so carrie and i offline I don't know if we're going to get as bold to say all the things that we say (laughs) offline to each other, but we're going to try. I'm going to try to get us as comfortable as we can to really get this stuff out. But, um, you know, I think that that it can be really disheartening. Like you and I were talking about that when we first met for coffee. Like when you're listening, it's not all yoga. So don't think that. But when you learn knowledge, when you learn tradition, when you take the time to study philosophy and not just the muscles, Mm -hmm. not just the yoga poses, it is so profound. Like, even though I stray, like, even though I am not a perfect person, I have so many different problems with who I am and how I am. There's no question. Like, I am not unaware of that. I just, I can't not be me, right? Just like you can't not be you. And at the same time, it's like there's there's so much beauty in how the knowledge can lift you, and yet there's yes. so much lack of there's there's lack of knowledge that is creating the division in so many yes. ways. And how how do we work together? Like I guess that is a thought that you and I have talked about. How do we work together? Okay, f- we can talk about it from a race perspective. How do we work together? to make a more inviting I mean I've been having this conversation over and over again and for me it starts with me like it has to be authentic it has to mm-hmm. I have to I woke up to a blind spot that I had no not no idea of course I have some idea but like I didn't know how big it was and how do how do I step into it and really it's it's that slow shift of values. It's like the razor's edge, right? Why can't right. you walk the yogic path? Because it's hard and it's long it's and it takes easy. forever. It's That's like everybody wants instant change in our country, instant change in the yoga industry even, after so many years of it not being changed, mm-hmm. not realizing that we have to walk that same path, the long, hard road to change. Yeah, and, and a piece of that is like admitting that blind spot, right? And yeah. I think a lot of people can't even admit that because Mm -hmm. to admit like 
I had a blind spot around this is saying, I may not be right about this or I need more information on this. And I think a lot of people, especially in our society, like don't want to be wrong, right? Like don't want to be, uh, (laughs) have their assumptions challenged at all. Um, because it's really hard. You can find out like, wow, the people I learned everything from were wrong, Mm -hmm. you know, and culturation is so deep, which is, you know, like how we learn. Mm -hmm. And if your parents have had these long held beliefs and you've learned them, right? Mm-hmm. And no one wants to say, like, my mom or dad was, like, trash in this way or another, you know, like, or racist, right? Mm-hmm. But it's like we really um, have to have those hard conversations with them mm-hmm. and um, look at our own beliefs and really uh, work towards... Undoing them, yeah. about them. Yes, yes. And, and being open to being... A new person, even not just someone whose mind has changed, but a new person. Right. Um, one of the things that Iyengar says on light in light on yoga is, with continued practice, you'll change the outlook of the practice of the practicer. Mm-hmm. He will discipline himself in food, sex, cleanliness, mm-hmm. and character, and will become a new man. Mm-hmm. So unless we're like willing to become a new and really. Mm-hmm. Um, acknowledge those blind spots or areas for growth we can't we you know we can't even come together but I I think that um that really has to be our focus how do we get ourselves together um so we can come together because like you said it starts with you I, I really think it does start with each individual person. Yeah, it's interesting. I just I walked away to grab a book because um, we're gonna just keep quoting Iyengar, which oh man, but like you know he's not even. I wasn't even like deep into Iyengar, but um, my good friend Chris Briney, he owns Center for Iyengar Yoga. If you haven't met him, he's excellent. But he um, gifted me Light on Life, and oh, when great. when we talk about the mind, which is really important. Um, during this period of time, um, I found this section uh, in Light on Life when the Black Lives Matter uprising was happening in, in such an intense way. And I'm like, okay, well, why can't I change? Like, why can't our society change? Like, what's happening? And so it here he describes, it's page 124 of the book, and he's talking about the mind. He says... Um, and there's there's so much in here that I, I don't want to miss this, but he says that um, the mind and the senses that inform to seek uh, that inform it seek to repeat pleasure and avoid pain. Mm-hmm. We have seen the rationale behind this, but at the same time must admit that it is essentially a holding pattern of the mind rooted in the experience of the past. It it is. And in consequence, likely to shy away from innovation and thus stifle the possibility of evolution. And so here he says, why? Like, why is the mind so stuck? Like, why can't the mind change? Because that's not the nature of the mind. Like, the mind inherently. So, like, you can't... To me, it was like I was so mad, not just at myself, but at my people who've come before us, the people around us, like our society, America, like everybody, you know, like, it's just like, oh man, like what is happening? But then you start to understand that, like, we're just functioning with this mechanism in us that we don't know really anything about, which is your mind. And the mind 
he says in this piece, it's like in love with the past. It's obsessed with the past and its biggest fear. What does the ego fear most? Its own death. Mm. So of course the ego is happiest with the endless variations on the past. Hence, right? I won't go there, but I almost... Go ahead. Oh, say whatever you Make want. America great. This yeah. is why people think this. You can say whatever you want. This is why people I, think yes. this. Like I, this it's, it's the, it's, that's exactly <laughs> right. It's a tool to capture the mind yes. and say, like, remember the past. the past. Yeah. And so there's... The, the interesting thing is, is like, we're just like an... And that, I don't mean we're an animal, but we are an animal that like has this mind and we're really, there were two parts of this that I discovered for myself. One was that I have to be compassionate with myself because my mind's just doing what my mind is meant is doing. It's doing past love again. It's like, I love this. This is comfortable. My ego hurts. I don't want it to change. I'm afraid of the I-ness being nothing. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I have to have like, I have to speak again. And not be afraid to say the wrong thing and not be afraid to, to lose, to let the ego be hurt. I have to let the ego be hurt, right? I have to say, yes. okay, Carrie, tell me I'm wrong. And not that it's your a job. A lot of people I don't mean that do way. this. I don't mean tell me I'm wrong. I mean, like, if I say something, right, that's, like, not right or I did something, like, say it. I, I can, I'm going to take it like a warrior, right? Like, I'm going to put on my armor when we have an honest conversation and I'm going to come into our dialogue and um, in our when I was talking to Aya yesterday we were talking about dialogue and how really I'm just so such an impression has been made like a dialogue is listening to be changed and, and mm. it, it's it's not to share my perspective and I think that I've always been taught that dialogue was just like okay let me share my perspective with you right so like when I'm listening to you I'm really trying to be changed and again admittedly I'm not a very good listener (laughs) and I try really hard but like I'm such a verbal human and I think when you start talking about why you hid and and all it makes sense and even so even in this instance like I think like you're afraid to say "Make America Great Again" right, is like a bad right. thing, like, like because it's a I know we might thing. have listeners who so are like, uh, "Oh well, then I voted in- for Trump," and it's like oh. I don't want to. Uh, what? Again, just truth? be like it's so hard sometimes. Oh, I swear, I'm really just stepping into this place where I'm like, "Who cares who I make who I make mad?" But yeah. it's really not that easy because mm-hmm. everything can be taken out of context and I could be looked at or whoever as being um, oversensitive or it's like, this is oversensitivity, but it's like, no, like, for example, how you're like, I don't mean we're animals, but even that it's right. like black people have been compared to animals so much. Like, mm-hmm. obviously I know your intention here, but I can think of how some people would be like, what did she say? Without listening to the whole conversation. Mm-hmm. Right. Totally. So it's like, I think just that education needs to happen for everyone. Like some people don't even know that and say stuff like that. Right. Mm-hmm. So I understand like, um, being afraid of saying the wrong thing. Cause mm-hmm. it's really easy in this climate. Oh my gosh. Um, so uh, it's like the peanut allergy, right? Like it, this is like where I think it, it's, it's, it sort of goes and this could be wrong. So, Oh God, here we go. Carrie's like, Carrie, are we at the coffee shop? Are we on the podcast? Can't we be back at the coffee shop? You're right. We forgot. We (laughs) forgot all about this microphone here. Exactly. You know, I think like there is a balance of like, 
really educating and taking time to listen and and stopping. And then at the same time, like exercising and speaking the relative truth, right? It's relative truth. It's in, in, and that was something you had said to me last night. I used it in class. I used it as a message because it was so profound to me. You said what your professor had said to you, like speak the truth until it makes you shake. Yes. Cause he saw me yeah. being reticent and holding back because it's like, these are people I need, um, as my references, you know, you want to be liked, you want to be oh, accepted, but even that I learned only through yoga is that that's ego, right? right? So even me being afraid to say stuff, sometimes I realize like, that's my ego. Let that shit go. Say it. But yes, I am shaking because I know that this might be a whole argument. And Mm -hmm. no, I don't want that. I don't. But do I want people to be better? Yes. So I might have to share some harsh realities of our shared history. You know, Mm -hmm. even the whole animal thing, you'd be surprised. Like people have no idea how racist America even is. Right. I literally couldn't handle the beginning of like learning about law. I did a pre-law program and to learn and see that there were actual precedents that were still being followed today that said black people had tails. And then they wonder why or people wonder why we're mad when um, black kids are in ads for these big companies and they're referred to as animals or they have on something animal like or they're being called wild. Oh my God, I said the word history. animal. And it's it's like, cool, it's oh cool, it's cool. God. We know, we know. Uh, in, in context, we, where you yeah, are going, context. but you know, it's, no, it's but crazy. You know, it's like so much to consider. And I think yeah. we can't have an understanding or mend until we really know our country's history, until mm-hmm. we really know more about each other's history. So, mm-hmm. you know, I love the yoga education, but our education education system really has to be improved um, for not just yogis, but all of us to mm-hmm. uh, come together. Because right now we're all at this, most of us are at this really tomastic level of just ignorance and delusion mm-hmm. about what's really happening to all people. You know, um, during philosophy, I think you were on when Arusha was speaking. She was talking about, uh, it might not, I don't think you were on that session. She was speaking, Arusha is a friend of mine who lived at the academy just for context. Um, she lives in the UK and she was, the, the most difficult thing, and I had forgotten this, is that delusion mirrors tamas. So tamas, tamasic thinking is delusion, delusional thinking. Delusion mimics objectivity. Tamas mimics sattva. So when you think you're being objective, you don't always know if you're actually being objective. You could actually just be delusional. So true. And that's <laughs> the scariest, right? Because the most, the most delusional people that you know think they're being highly objective. Yes. And so that, I think, is part of this whole push and pull that we're going through which is like how do you you're not your job is not to pull somebody out of their own thinking you can't can't. yeah (laughs) like you can't like you you can't and you you have to let everybody rise on their on their own two feet you can you can be the community right like what Mm -hmm. yoganic flow did for you you know even right now some people at citizen somebody had said to me yesterday like casey do you know like you're like being a superhero right now. How did you do this? And I'm like, what? 
I don't feel like a superhero. I feel like this small ant that's like running around during a pandemic, you know, like I literally feel internally like this little ant that's like running around trying to make things okay. And it's just interesting how like we have these like different perceptions of ourselves and we have like all this like we have so much to learn about who we are. So much to learn. So you know? much to learn. So when you, um, there were two things that you said, because I think that this is true in the yoga world, and I wish that, like, I don't know how to make this true. This is, like, part of my mission in owning a studio, and I still don't think I've done it very well all the time. I think we've done it pretty well. Is like, you had mentioned, like, the fear of your network. Like, if I like make somebody unhappy at this organization and like everybody in the yoga industry is going to know. Like I had no idea. Like, why would I know what was happening? You know? <laughs> and like this idea of like how in the yoga industry can we as teachers better have life cycles in places and, and also understand that the, it's such a big network mm-hmm. and, and sort of let things go and let people transition out of spaces and out of places. That's a good question. Um, that I don't have the answer to, mm. but I also wish that I knew. Um, you know, managing people is a challenge for that reason. You know, mm. people do outgrow spaces, but I think, you know, I just have to keep practicing detachment to let it go, let right. them go and be free, do whatever you feel like doing. But, um, Managing people, I would say, is the hardest part of having any sort of yoga entity. <laughs> Honestly, um, I, I can't say I've been doing the best job at that because I'm so casual with it. I'm like, yeah, what do you want to teach? Do this, do that. But I do think um, it, the ego has to come out of this a little bit more. The whole industry, like, it's hard for us to even bring people on sometimes because they don't want feedbacks. Mm, oh. So... It, how can you learn? How can you learn, right? And then I think also... The, the but, like, does feedback mean that, like... So it's really interesting. Like, does feedback mean that when you give somebody feedback, then you're telling them that you can't... They can't be themselves? Like, recently I've sort of, like, come to this place of, like, just because somebody gives you feedback, one, doesn't mean you have to take it. You don't. You don't. You don't. That's, that's first. It's a suggestion. It's a suggestion. And secondly, that doesn't mean that it's uh, making you not be yourself. It's mm-hmm. presenting the same way. Like, hey, you have a blind spot that I yes. see. That doesn't mean that you even will still see it or it's true. It's just from my lens, from this perspective. With people's ego can't take that. They right. can't admit, like, I don't know. I had it wrong. Right. I think that's really hard, uh, particularly for people in our culture. Mm. So um, I think with the teachers, I just ask people, what's your intentions with this? You know, like, why do you really want to do this? And most people, I believe their heart is in the right place. Mm -hmm. You know, they want to make it available. They see all the health benefits. Um, But you do have... Um, some egotistical yogis who, in like we talked about earlier, Instagram is oh. heightened that. <laughs> you know, so it's it's all about the asana and the followers. Like so much to the point where I've seen I've seen less experienced teachers be hired over their teachers, literally because of Instagram follower numbers and. 
you know, it's almost hard to not be an egotistical yogi when you get jobs and so many other things off of it, but off of Instagram or um, just looking or being a certain way. But as far as the yoga community being connected, even all the big Instagram people know each other, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that it's such a close-knit community, even though it's international and so big. I think a lot of folks um, that are like, what do you call them, Um, yoga liberties, uh, know each other. And even in the the metro area, a lot of yoga people know each other. And I think word travels fast. Mm -hmm. And it did make me want to hide because it's like, oh, here's this big yoga teacher, but she just did some shit that was so, to me, racist. And what am I going to say? You know, here I have 1,000 followers and this person has this many, their platform and who they can reach and the people just on their side is so much larger. Mm -hmm. Like they could squash me or I might not be hired Mm -hmm. again. But again, I had to look at my own ego. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, well, you know, you have to let that go whether you get hired or not and make this not about you, mm-hmm. but about the issues, mm. you know, and that that's really hard. That pressed up against my ego a lot. Yeah. You know, and I, I don't want to say or pretend like ego is all bad no. because it it's, no. can be very good and motivating in some ways. But I think just too much of it um, is why we see the t- the type of industry we have today where mm-hmm. it's mostly for money and people are gossiping and doing all these things that aren't really aligned with the lifestyle. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like, I, maybe I'm too idealistic. Sometimes I think that like, it's so confusing. I think that there's an element of like grudge holding in the yoga industry or like, you know, somebody had said to me, it was interesting. I was having a conversation. I think it was two days ago. Um, It was a great conversation, but they were saying, yeah, you know, I know that teacher left because somebody wasn't paying them or something. And I was like, well, I don't believe anything anybody says anymore. You can't. Right? Like, that's literally my response. Like, okay, everybody has these, like, false perceptions of what's happening because they're so tied to, like, what they're gaining from the experience of whether it's teaching or working. Yes. And so whenever somebody tells me, like, an anecdote of why somebody left or somebody did something, my first response is like, eh, I probably won't believe that. And I don't mean that in a, uh, like, I'm questioning that person who's telling me that, mm-hmm. right? What I'm saying is I just won't take the one person's lens and color the experience because really like being, I mean, managing so many people, I know how much miscommunication is actually going on all the time, no matter how much you communicate. Mm -hmm. And so I think, especially in the industry, I think if we want, I mean, that's why I teach philosophy. To me, it's like this, it's like this little bubble of space for one hour where we get to really talk about what the practice is truly trying to get us to think about. And then, okay, the rest of the day we do this, like, practice, which is incredible. But, like, how, how do we keep pushing our, ourselves to become the practitioners we really seek to be? As a community, just generally, like, as a, as a bigger community, I think, I think Black Lives Matter is actually pushing us in that direction. And so when you say to, to, to us, like, okay, I found my voice... Like what? What Still did you find? Okay, fine. But you you did find it. You know, you came out of that hiding. You in, yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, to set fear aside. Uh, and again, I would say that support system, just knowing like you're not alone in it and mm-hmm. looking at the reasons you're tied to it. But I just want to go back for a second. I really like what you said about not taking someone's word for it. Mm-hmm. That's why a long time I did not speak about that organization because I realized that's my experience, right? Mm -hmm. The work that they're doing in the community still has some benefits for who they're serving. Mm -hmm. So maybe someone else can go and fight that fight and they might be open to change or hearing Mm -hmm. that from other people. So I do think um, that's key. So like yogis, if you're listening to this, don't listen to yoga gossip. Yeah, oh <laughs> you my know, God, like just please. don't don't feed into it. There has to be some yama or niyama against that. Yeah, but there is. It's like truthfulness. Yes, like just the joy of the drama. That's actually something really interesting. There's a joy to drama that people get, and I would say that as a younger person, I understood that. Like, I mean, I'm very dramatic, just generally inside my soul. So I just think that, like. <laughs> You know, there is a, this uh, joy to drama. There's this joy to, like, everybody trying to get ahead of each other. Mm-hmm. And, like, these... Uh, I, I definitely have tried my best now to steer away. Like, I have a big announcement coming. Like, I love when that happens on Instagram. <laughs> big announcement. Here I come. And I'm just going to squash all these other people and, like, bang, it's going to be drama. And, like, you're just like, okay. Like, I have totally, especially from, like, quarantine, like really had to unplug from that experience and just say oh I see like let me go to the source and if I can't get to the source then I can't believe what's being said right you know and and isn't that our job to find the source like that's a bigger yogic metaphor keep learning right yes it that's why I'm starting yoga teacher training on Sunday yeah tell us yeah yeah tell (laughs) us about that so since I began yoga, I've been wondering, where did it come from? You know, just not knowing anything about yoga. My dad was super into Tai Chi and stuff, and he was like, you should try some yoga too. So when the Bull Family YMCA first opened, I went, and um, this was in like 2006, and my first yoga class, I was pumped up, like, yes. And I did not like it. No offense, Bull. I love the YMCA. It's one of the most beautiful gyms in Detroit, but the yoga class... I just wasn't there yet. You yeah, know, I, totally. it was more me than the class. Yes, I'm sure. That's always. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm kind of type A-ish, not a typical yogi mm-hmm. in that way. So I was sitting there like, I'm so bored. Right. Um, and it just took many years. But even then I was wondering a little like, what, where does this even come from? Where Like I've been running and exercising my whole life yoga right you know so then I fast forward moved to Korea and there were lots of places offering yoga and a friend recommended that I go and um I still wasn't clear on it like where did this come from came back uh did YTT and uh only learned about the Indian lineages Mm. and then I started to meet comedic yoga teachers and they were like did you know yoga really came from Africa and I'm like what Mm. it was a mind-blowing thing for me um I I tend to believe everything came from there for the most part. Creation started there, so how could it have not influenced all the things? But um, it sparked my curiosity. So in 2017, I went to India for a while, and 
just dug in deep the history of yoga and I even asked my teachers there have you heard of comedic yoga no one heard of it mm-hmm. uh, or yoga happening in Africa no one heard about it here we are in 2020 and I you know just scrolling on the gram like everyone else I saw uh, an opportunity to do a training with someone that I heard a lot about and it was specifically about um racial healing racial trauma through mm-hmm. yoga and obviously now I've been talking a lot about racial trauma and how racism impacts us on mm-hmm. a physiological level mm-hmm. and I'm like I really want to learn more about this like more about um trauma informed yoga but specifically um black people like how do we heal from this what does he know how can he teach me to share this with my community what can I pick up from this so I'm still learning you know I did my first YTT in gosh 2012 and here we are at 2020 and I'm still trying to get to the source you know what is this all about where did it come from what's the point Mm. um and all these different traditions kind of go back to the same thing like this Mm self-actualization self-realization which is goes back to your original point it starts with me it starts with us Mm -hmm. this mending of ourselves then we can mend with each other whenever um whenever i talk about philosophy the first thing uh you have to talk about is what you're made up of if you don't know, if you don't read your, the the manual, like how can you drive the car? Well, we don't read our drive car <laughs> manuals, but I don't read my car manuals. Okay, but just this you know general idea of like we don't even know what our instrument is, so how can we play it? And like right. that to me is like you have to go in, you have to know yourself, and instead of like blaming others, like step inside yourself when something goes wrong and look, mm-hmm. look in. Yes. And and that that if if that if our if our instinct was in instead of out, mm-hmm. it we would be in such a better yoga community. We naturally be more reflective yeah. than reactive, and I think now we're just so reactive, especially mm-hmm. during this time. It's like everybody's on the edge, mm-hmm. so people aren't really reflecting. They're just yeah. being in that edginess, um, and it's. It's a lot for all of us, so um, yogis keep breathing. <laughs> can you like? Can you talk a little bit more about like how like just racism impacting us and how it impacts us if it does? And just sure because you just sort of skimmed that. You said trauma informed yoga in terms of race and then you just like skip that and I was like oh should I pause and like do the drop down menu and say can you please explain (laughs) we might need a drop down menu for this you know it's like we're impacted so much by racism you know your whole psyche you know you walk in I'll just use the yoga studios you know you walk into a yoga studio and no one sees you until you start flexing on the mat then you leave and they're like oh you have such a strong practice like that's not what you were expecting mm-hmm. or you know you'll come in and um the first thing will be like um I you might be new to yoga but <laughs> what, wait what so it's like these assumptions that you might be met with or I've been in classes where we're mat to mat and someone will like move their mat way over to the other person and maybe it could be other things right right, right? but if it didn't happen so often to 
all the black yoga teachers that I know, maybe we wouldn't feel that it was racism. Mm -hmm. We would think, oh, maybe I just had some BO that day or whatever. Mm -hmm. We could think anything, but it's so often that we're not seen or even heard. So, for example, um, I was at a studio talking about them playing um, the Mm -hmm. N-word in rap songs, and... A teacher told me that a white teacher told me, well, Jay-Z says it. It's like, that's Jay-Z. You're not Jay-Z. <laughs> you're not. You're not black. Like, it's 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 just not what you do. And I, it, it might not be fair, but life isn't fair. And if this is upsetting someone, why can't you just respect that? You think it's oversensitive because you don't know our history with this word. And I think um, a lot of times people look at their one um, black friend and uh, say, well, they let me say it or they said this was cool. Or somebody, another example, you know, um, yoga girl got in some trouble about the bendy and she was like, well, Deepak said it was cool, but that doesn't mean that the whole culture thinks that this is okay. So with that, it's like... Because it's face jewelry and not, yeah. Right? So it's like... you bring up this stuff and then you might get looked at as, oh, that's reverse racism. Like, I could do what I want. But if you're impacting a group that has been, like, historically disadvantaged and marginalized, you could at least take a moment to listen to see how they feel about your actions. Because it's, like, some deep-seated trauma behind certain words. And um, the things that you might say to your friends, like, you know... Some groups will be like, hey, bitch, what's up? That's my bitch. Like, you know, you're not going to say that. You might jokingly say that to your friend, um, but you're not going to say that to someone you don't know. Mm -hmm. So why are you playing this music or saying these things around someone you don't know or how they're going to respond to that? But I think in yoga, there's a lot of spiritual bypassing that allows um, Mm. racist instances to occur so frequently. Um, what, do you, what do you mean by spiritual bypassing? People acting like, oh, it can't be that because it's all good. It's all light and love. I don't think that. I don't see color. You know, like, I'm not that person. Or it's so many instances of it. Um, I, I wish that I could remember some of those examples shared by my girls on um, the Yoga is Dead podcast. But there's a lot of um, of that in the yoga world. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the world, in the period, world. in yeah. the world. So, what do you think of hip hop music and yoga? <laughs> I promise <laughs> we were going to talk about it. And you just like gave me you gave me a hook, and uh, I could I could grab on. <laughs> so let's like what what do you think about that? It's um, like a lot of things. I feel confused about it right now. I really love it. We actually have a hip-hop yoga class coming up at Eastern Market, but some of um, the lyrics leave me feeling unsettled, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Promotes drug use, misogyny, all these things. But hip-hop in its origins was to tell a story of an oppressed people. When it started in the Bronx, um, late 80s, it was about bringing people together. Uh, It was a catalyst for a movement. And it was a really mostly positive thing, right? And um, capitalism is a piece of not only why yoga is jacked up, but hip hop too, because they saw what would make money. So now it's just gangsterized. All you hear are 
the worst elements of black culture propagated in hip-hop music for the most part not completely because there's a lot of healthy hip-hop that i love and even you know the the trap music and in hip-hop that's not so good i still love it because it resonates with certain parts of my life Mm -hmm. um and i really love to dance from it but that's why we offer hip-hop yoga uh to bring in people who don't care about yoga Mm -hmm. who wouldn't even consider yoga if um, hip hop or uh, trap wasn't attached, you know. Um, yeah, lots of folks who have come to that class. It's a bridge. Yeah, it's a bridge it's exactly. A bridge. It, but it, I, it, so I'll back up. There was a yoga conference I went to uh, a long time, like when I first started YTT, mm-hmm. and whole class. They're playing um, Dr. Dre with the N word, not edited out, and. It made everyone I was with really uncomfortable, where some people didn't mind. They were like, oh, it's just a word. Who cares? And there are black people who feel like that. Like, it's just a word. Who cares? But um, one, we're not a monolith, so somebody might care, and we should be cognizant of that as yoga teachers. Um, But two, I was like, we can do this, but do it differently Mm -hmm. and promote the positive aspects of hip hop. Um, because it is fun, you know, vinyasa to music can be fun sometimes. Yeah. Um, even though it's a prop, it's a prop and it could even be a distraction. Yeah. But if this is what's going to bring people who never cared about yoga into this mm-hmm. to at least try the, the asanas, see how they feel at the end in Shavasana, we're going to do it. Yeah. We're going to do it. And, um, I was definitely met with a lot of uh blank stares and stuff in my ytt we had to present a project and some people had prenatal yoga some people had you know yoga for the chakras and these sorts of things and i was like i want to do hip-hop yoga (laughs) the whole class was perplexed like what this is before like i've they had a a lot of these classes in the city or just period and um once i saw who showed up you know, my cousins who would make fun of me for doing yoga. Right, and were like ready. Yeah, yeah, they were like, oh, this might be cool. Let's go check it out. And yeah. just so many people who hip-hop resonated with them but not yoga gave it a shot. And that's what's most important to me um, and to our team is to really make this accessible to the people who need it the most. And when I say need it the most, I mean people who are on the lower end of health disparities, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's no secret that black people have highest level of CBD, hypertension, diabetes, just everything. And a lot of that comes from stress. We know that most diseases come from stress. So imagine being stressed out Mm -hmm. simply because you were born black and you're being treated differently as a Mm -hmm. result. And I think some of the yoga examples I offered weren't that serious and you might not think like, oh, that was racist. But yogis outside of the yoga studio that are black experience things far worse than that on a daily basis. Like driving while black is a real thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've been pulled over in the burps for literally nothing. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's not like I haven't sped before. We all have. Right. (laughs) But, you know, like for nothing. Mm -hmm. And I'm a woman. Mm -hmm. A small woman. So imagine, <laughs> you I'm know, <laughs> you're. They see um, uh, right. just a, a bigger black man in a car. You know, he's getting pulled over. Right. You know, it's like not always, but it happens for real at a much greater rate. Like even with 
um, policing, you know, you, whew, that's another coffee shop conversation, yeah, but yeah. I mean, it, it gets serious. It's, it's tough when you feel like I could literally just lose my life for being black. Like I've been stressed out about the police since I was seven years old mm. because my, the guy who lived across the street from me, Malice Green was killed by police, mm. you know? So I always thought from a very young age, they're not here to protect and serve me. Mm-hmm. They don't. Uh, love me (laughs) if anything this could happen to me and it was around the same time as the Rodney King beating and all of this and I'm a kid right thinking this Mm -hmm. so you know you grow up with these experience feeling like you're an NWA you know at the police it's not a good relationship with Mm -hmm. the law so I think when we come to a yoga space the last thing we want to (laughs) do is be treated any differently in a space we come for healing. So that's why one of the reasons we had that event to colonize yoga because it's like, hey, this is the one place where this shit has got to stop. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We need a place to heal, seriously. And that's one of the reasons um, Yoganic Flow started because Mm -hmm. I did not feel uh, completely safe in yoga studios before we started some I would feel better than others mm-hmm. but yeah it's like you don't want to be further frustrated or not seen or not heard or just having to listen to the n-word blaring um behind yeah. you while you're just trying to breathe mm-hmm. but it, but it's a but it's a it's a bridge it's a, we'll go back to like thank you for sharing that was that was really I always go off on a tangent but I just go off on a tangent <laughs> so I'll bring you back say. I'll bring you back <laughs> thank you no I'll bring you back no keep talking I think that that's uh you know what you're sharing is extremely helpful and it's a perspective and I think it's sort of you're just opening up like you're just opening up the door it's like okay you you're saying like well how, how does this like small pebble you know affect you like, you know, one of the, the examples you give, and it's actually a rule that I have, and I try my best to get people to change what they say, which is we don't say at our studio, have you ever practiced yoga before? Because it puts everybody on the dip. I go into like New York City and now they're like, have you ever practiced yoga? And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, 26 years, uh, I've been taking <laughs> classes a lot. Like, I'm like immediately defensive. And mm-hmm. if you say something like, do you have a regular practice? You're inviting a story. And, and then you, they can tell you as much or as little as you want with yes. the assumption that you have a re- like, okay, yeah, I have a, you, you're assuming a practice. Yes. Regular or not regular, that's the difference, right? And so I think that, but, but part of it is, which is helpful, I, I'm really like intrigued in what you're saying because you're just opening a door or you're like showing a path that's full of other pebbles that you can't even see that like, everybody's coming in with their collected collective experiences and saying, okay, this is me. You know, somebody has social anxiety and you talk to them. You're like, Oh, well, I just said, hello. Well, that really triggered me. And you're like, Oh my God. Right. And you know, and so being able to educate yourself on different aspects of what humans come to their mat with, which is complicated mm-hmm. and you're going to mess up. And, and, and so that's part of getting your voice out. Because language you know, matters. Sharing. I'm glad that you're, you've encouraged them to say something different. Yeah. Because language matters and you don't so know much. who's coming there. Sure. Like even with, I'll give you another example. Um, you <laughs> know, I had knee surgery in February and 
I was doing. No, I haven't seen you. And like, <laughs> there was like, there was this thing, the pandemic. Yeah, right. <laughs> and this was actually a, a, a teacher of color. I, now I'm about to get really personal. Okay, go. <laughs> I did a naked yoga class. Cool. <laughs> where? Were you at Burning Man? Because that's the only time I've taken a naked yoga class. So where were you? Because uh, Burning Man's canceled this year. So we need uh, we need something different and new to do. Yes. It was just, it was online. And uh, we were doing this class. And I had to modify a lot because of my knee. And this teacher, rather than ask me, if I had an injury before class started, during class, she asked if I was pregnant. During class, mm-hmm. other people are there on Zoom, and she's like, are you pregnant? And I'm naked. Oh, my God. <laughs> Can you imagine? No. So language no. matters. I language think yoga matters. teachers, practice your practice so you can stay mindful. Mm cognizant of your words not to say that you're responsible for managing everybody's emotions Mm -hmm. but you are responsible for not making people feel like trash in your space if possible what is so what like what language what are some language tips that you could give that you think would be really helpful for people I would say, like, in in that instance of the naked yoga, at the beginning of class, just ask a person you haven't seen or someone you haven't seen in a while, like, do you have any injuries Mm. we should know about or anything that might uh, impact your practice Mm -hmm. uh, just so the teacher can better accommodate you or pregnant, you know, anything going on that you need us to know to accommodate your practice. That's it. Right. A, A simple question or two just to figure out where a person is at because a person may look completely fit and have way more issues than you can imagine totally you know like i go in studios now or not studios but like outdoor classes and um people never ask about my knee or if i have injuries because i just walk up Mm. i'm not limping but it's like you should definitely still ask a person about all these things i can't tell you how many classes i've gone to and no one has asked if i was injured because i don't look injured Mm -hmm. you know or like Mm -hmm. my sister has sciatica i think Take, I think yoga students, yoga teachers also should start looking at those forms that people fill out right. ahead of time because yep. there are poses that can actually make conditions so much worse. Right. You know, a person can't do the same things with high blood pressure as they can do without it. So it's like those that initial conversation mm-hmm. and knowing what your student is coming to the mat with, at least physically, mm-hmm. you know, because we don't necessarily ask about uh, depression and anxiety and right. those things. Uh, <laughs> whereas maybe we should start right. as, a, as an industry, because um, I know, for example, Vipassana, they ask you before you right. sit, like, are you, have you been depressed? Because our mental state is so important. Our physical state is so important when embarking on the practice. Mm-hmm. So I think teachers just need to inquire a little bit, mm-hmm. um, you know, with empathy and, mm-hmm. and without judgment and ask students where they are, especially if they don't know them. Mm-hmm. So if you had one wish for the yoga community, what would it be? I wish that it was more than a job for folks. Yeah. And it's interesting. I play devil's advocate with myself sometimes sure. and I'll, I want to do this with you too. Like, yeah. what do you, what do we do with yogis who they really love this? They really want to share this, but literally don't have money or another job. Right. Like, I think that 
you know, obviously as owners of things, we have some sort of uh, financial privilege to just teach yoga. Um, but what about those teachers who don't have any other means, mm-hmm. but they really want to teach yoga? What do, what do we tell them? Do you have to choose? I guess that's always been my point. Like, I think of this, like, I have a full-time job. Like, my full-time job, and I'm not saying this is easy. So, if you're listening and you're a yoga teacher and you're like, F you, Casey, (laughs) I I apologize. Um, But, you know, my full-time job is running Citizen. That's my job. Teaching is my passion. And so, like, really... I think this is such a hard conversation to have because I wouldn't want to discourage somebody from being a full-time teacher. That's not what I'm saying either because I think there are profoundly incredible full-time teachers. I just think that, like, are you still that same teacher you started off as is the question. And if you start to morph into sort of a different version of yourself, and I ask myself this question all the time, am I the business owner I started off as? Mm -hmm. Am I the yoga? I'm definitely the yoga teacher I started off as. I like teaching for me is like, it's like the life of my existence, you know, running a company is really hard. And sometimes I'm like, okay, am I the same person? I'm definitely not. Do I still want to do this? And those are hard questions that I ask myself all the time. I don't take it for granted that this is something I want to do all the time, but I do it because it's my duty. It's my obligation. It's, it's what I'm meant to do right now. And I, and I appreciate it. Teaching is a privilege. It's this I think space. So too. Yeah. And so if 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 you're a full-time teacher and teaching still feels like that privilege, do it. You are on the right path. But if teaching, you're counting your students in your class and you're saying that one didn't pay me and this one did pay me and that one, you know, then my question to you is go get is there something else you can do so that when you come into class, that's not what you're thinking about? Right. That you're seeing focus. the student and not a bill, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I or understand. I have so much compassion. I have so much compassion for that space. So I, I want to, I hope that that comes off. But I think that that's an extremely important space to be in that we can allow ourselves to be all of it. Yeah. My, I, I see what you're saying. Um, I grapple with that a lot too. Like running a, a small business is so rough. Like I don't yeah. enjoy that part necessarily, but I love teaching. Um, and I, I, for our our teachers that have joined the team, um, I think most of them it, it never has been about money because they don't get paid a lot anyway. It's community yoga, but actually compared to some gyms and stuff they're they're paid better I guess but um I think most of them do come from a very good place um but the burnout is real I've seen a lot of full-time teachers including myself mm-hmm. burn out just mm-hmm. tired um from right. all of that and you have to give a lot energetically when you teach you know mm-hmm. um so that's why I think the sopic food and all that the lifestyle is right. important so you can maintain that energy to teach that mm-hmm. fire to teach otherwise the the burnout is it, it can happen mm-hmm. but um I don't know I, I guess me answering my own question about that I would encourage teachers to just employ that lifestyle as much as you can to mm-hmm. be coming from 
um, a place of intention and not yeah. just on autopilot, like right. doing a job. And I see a lot. I mean, I know in our company, we have a, we have a few full-time teachers who do it exceptionally well. Is you Jen know? a full-time teacher? Yeah. Because I love her. Yeah, isn't she? <laughs> they're, they're all so amazing, but it doesn't always... Justina. Let yeah, me stop. I'm going to start shouting out everybody. Right, exactly. <laughs> but it doesn't always express in that way for everybody. And I just want to give people that permission to say, like, you can have multiple parts of your life. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be limited. You can have, like, I couldn't just be a teacher for me. And I don't think that everybody's just a teacher. People do a lot of other things. So, right. But I think that there is this uh, aspect to our community that could serve so that you come with that genuine energy that genuine wanting to be there which is so important so needed yeah so is there any way that somebody could get involved with yoganic flow how do they find you everybody you can check out yoganicflow.com we often have volunteers help us out with sign in um, at the various classes throughout detroit uh, volunteers help with lots of things. We had a street team uh, doing flyers and stuff before COVID. But yeah, you can always uh, reach out uh, and email us if you have any interest in volunteering there. Yoga House uh, is our brand new 501c3. We're looking to uh, purchase some property in Detroit so we can do some of the things that we mentioned, having more free uh, yoga classes there. Would love to have meditation there, pranayama offered, just different things um, as a healing modality for people in the inner city, hopefully Southwestern District too, that's where our eyes are. Mm. Uh, so yes, feel free to support that initiative at yoganicflow.com. There's a drop down menu uh, where you can find information about Yoga House Detroit and of course, Instagram. Instagram. I was like, don't forget your Instagram, <laughs> course, Carrie. Instagram. Don't forget your Instagram. It's still a very helpful. It is truly, and you know, quarantine uh, helped me realize that. Yeah. And before uh, COVID, I barely posted on my personal. Uh, Yoganic flow. We did it about every day, I guess, but I wasn't so serious about it. But seeing how much we can really connect with people virtually and through Instagram has been really exciting. Um, our The IG live classes were really weird at first, but I love connecting. Everything with folks was now. weird at first. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, check us out at Yoganic Flow, um, Y-O-G-A-N-I-C Flow on Instagram and yeah, keep in touch. <laughs> I feel like I have so many um, more questions to ask, but I'm going to save them because I really want to talk more in depth at another, on another episode of like, what is it like to teach in an urban community? I know you and I have talked about that before. Yeah. So we're going to save some stuff. Uh, I appreciate you. Thank you so much um, for sharing your voice and being so confident. Uh, it was It was a pleasure. I like, wish they could see us right now. <laughs> <laughs> we, we actually been staring like lovingly into each other's eyes this entire time, just so everybody knows. That's actually what Carrie and I have been doing. It's <laughs> lovingly staring at each other. We're like, oh. Yeah, exactly. All right. Thank you. Signing off. <laughs> <laughs>